Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be studying the readings for the first Sunday of Lent uh, in Cycle D. That will be February 21st, 2021. You know, I wonder if Jesus was a little bit down after his spiritual high. His father had called him his beloved son, and then immediately the Spirit sent him out into the desert uh, to be tempted for 40 days, and that was a 40 days of preparation for his ministry. Then why are we surprised when, after a spiritual eye, we have a period in which uh, we feel as though we are not, as for me, as though we are in a hot, dry desert or being nearly drowned as Noah must have felt during the flood? Yet we too may need preparation. We should not be surprised if we come under all kinds of attack instigated by our enemy, the devil. And I'm going to uh, read a scripture here. This is Sirach 2, 1 to 9. It says, My child, if you, ser- if you aspire to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for an ordeal. Be sincere of heart. Be steadfast. Do not be alarmed when disaster comes. Cling to him. Do not leave him so that you may be honored at the end of your days. Whatever happens to you, accept it. And in all uncertainties of your humble state, be patient, since gold is tested in fire, and the chosen in the furnace of humiliation. Trust in him, and he will uphold you. Follow a straight path, and hope in him. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy. Do not turn aside, for fear you fall. You who fear the Lord, trust him, and you will not be robbed of your reward. You who fear the Lord, hope for those good gifts of his, everlasting joy and mercy. So what we, we, Jesus has told us that anyone who wants to come after me must take up his cross daily and follow him. And that's in, uh, in Luke 9, 23 and following. So let's take a look at this. The first thing we're going to look at uh, is the first reading. And this is from Genesis 9, 8 to 15. This is after the flood. So what you have is that uh, you have that, uh, that Noah had the 40 days of rain, 40 days and 40 nights of rain, and then after the rain stopped, he had another 197 days before the earth dried up enough that he could get out of the ark. So, so this is the note that says here about Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 9. This is note D in the New Jerusalem Bible. The covenant with Noah, the sign of which is the rainbow, involves the whole of creation. The covenant with Abraham, the sign which is circumcision, was to be limited to the descendants only. The covenant with Moses was to be confined to Israel alone and entailed corresponding obligations, fidelity to the law, and to the Sabbath observance in particular. So let's take a look at this. It says, God said to Noah and his sons with him. So what we notice, first of all, is that Noah is the one who was righteous. It doesn't say anything about his sons. As a matter of fact, when you uh, read down a little bit farther in the text, you will see that Noah himself wasn't always what we call righteous because he got drunk and one of his sons uh, saw him naked and the other two were uh, appalled that the son uh, made fun of his father and they covered his nakedness. So, But it's through the father that the blessing comes. <clears throat> and so we see that with Abraham. You'll see that with Abraham when Abraham is gone, uh, given the, the, the covenant. And for us and for our descendants, what we do is a blessing or a curse for our, not only for ourselves, but for our descendants. So, uh, and it says, I am a subject with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, all the birds and the various, various tame and wild animals that were with you and came out of the ark. 
So this is basically the same thing that God did with, with uh, Adam uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, all of these animals were for him, and it's through, his, through Adam that the blessing and the curse came about. Now, there's an interesting thing here when you look at this, because the word ark here, the Hebrew word, is the same word that you see uh, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, for the basket that Moses was placed in. And it just simply means a box. And I, I, when I realized that this time, I, I found it interesting that both Noah and Moses were saved, although they'd been put in the water, they were saved by this box so that they could go on and do what God wanted them to do. So you need to take a quick look at that, and uh, you, you'll see that, that some interesting things are happening there with Moses and with Noah. So let's, let's go on. Let's read uh, a little bit farther down. It says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all bodily creatures be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 through 18, the first part of 18. It said that this is a, 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 the covenant, one of the covenants that God made with Abram at that time. He hadn't had his name changed to Abraham yet because he has, was not ready to be Abraham. And then he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this country as your possession. Lord Yahweh, Abram replied, how do I know that I shall possess it? He said to me, to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a pigeon. He brought all these and split the animals down the middle and placed them each half opposite the other. But the birds he did not divide. And whenever the birds of prey came and swooped down on the carcasses, Abram drove them off. Now, as the sun was on its point of setting, a trance fell over Abram, and a dark dread descended on him. Then Yahweh said to Abram, Know this for certain, that your descendants will be exiles in a land that is not their own, and be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I shall bring judgment on the nation that enslaves them, and after they, they this they will leave uh, with many possessions, etc., etc. So, what we have here is an explanation of what the covenant means. And the word for covenant really means a passing between the halves. In the case of, of uh, both in the case of Abram and in the case of Noah, the covenant is one-sided. God made the covenant. And with Abram, he passed, if you go down farther, you'll see that he passed between the halves of the animals that were split in half. And, and you saw it as a, as a fire going through them. And here, Noah is told... This, this is the sign that I am giving you for all ages to come of a covenant between me and you and every living creature with you. I will set my bow in the clouds to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring, Okay, so let's take a look at that bow for a minute. What, what is really happening when you see a rainbow in the sky? It's that, that the clouds that, are, that the light is going through is like going through a prism. So the light is divided into its component parts. So what, what you have here is that God is sending his light upon the people, and he's going to break it in the component parts so they can see the various aspects of who God is. So that's the sign that he's going to give. And the sign comes after, or usually after the rain, doesn't it? So I will set my bow in the sky, 
to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will recall the covenant I made between me and you and all living beings so that the waters shall never again become a flood, flood to destroy all mortal beings. So God, it's the, the rainbow in the sky is a reminder more for God than it is for the humankind. But for us, when we see the bow in the sky, we know that God is reminding himself that he's never going to destroy the whole earth by water again. So, but, the, but it, but this didn't, uh, this didn't happen that the people were all good afterwards. But Jesus uses this particular incident in Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. He says, as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. For those bef days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, taking wives, taking husbands, right up to the day that Noah went, Noah went into the ark. And they suspected nothing till the flood came and swept them all away. This is what it will be like when the Son of Man comes. So we have the... In, in the in the flood itself, it's not just that it's a flood, but it's a cleansing, a purging of the earth, and it's to tell us a little bit about what's going to happen at Jesus' second coming. Now, you we look at that, and we think, okay, so what is with this water? And you can look in certain places in the New Testament, and you will see that that what we what God uh, that God spoke in the New Testament to say that this. Type, this flood, this washing away, is a type of baptism. That uh, you, we are called to be sinless, but God has to wash our sins away. And so it's baptism that does that for us. Now let's take a look at the gospel. I don't have a lot of information, a lot to talk about on the gospel because it's, it's pretty straightforward. So let, but let's take a look at what we do have. Now, in gospel, it's God sacrificed his son rather than destroy the human race. So instead of sending a flood to destroy the human race, God sent his son to save the human race. And let's take a look at 1 Peter. Uh, do I have it here? No, I don't. So let's see. Let's take a look at uh, 1 Peter 2, 21 to 24 talks about this, but we don't have a lot of information about that, do we? So let's take, that's, I'm sorry, I got to the wrong place. So when we look at this process, if we look in Mark chap, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 3 and 4, we will see this same thing about the baptism of Jesus and his going into the desert. It says immediately, so Jesus was just had his baptism. He just heard his father say, you're my beloved son. And immediately the, the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. Now that word for drove means that, uh, that it's to cast out. Uh, it's like a, a shepherd taking the sheep out into pasture land. But you have to remember that the desert is means a lonesome place, a waste, a solitary place. And so Jesus is going to have to spend time by himself for 40 days and 40 nights. Reminiscent again of the flood and the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the desert in preparation for entering the promised land. So this is, in a sense, a preparation for Jesus for his ministry that will be coming up as soon as he gets out of here. And when we get there, we'll see uh, in a few weeks, we'll see that Jesus immediately again was ministering to people. But he 
for 40 days. And it says to be tempted by Satan. Now, isn't that interesting? And what, what, what it's showing here is that even Jesus was subject to temptation. What made Jesus different was that he didn't succumb to temptation. And God often puts us in situations to test us. And the word for temptation and testing some, it can, can sometimes be interchanged, uh, the English words, for what we call testing or temptation in the scriptures. So it's a testing to see who we are. God knows who we are, but it's a testing to see whether we know who we are and if we will, we have, are willing to have whatever impurities are purged out of us. You know, you, you read in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3 that about silver and gold being tested by fire. What that is, is it put in a very hot area to get all the impurities out so that you have pure gold and sh- silver that remains. Uh, we can go back and look at Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, where we can, we can see another time when Job, whom we studied a couple of weeks ago, was tempted by Satan as well. And it says, One day when the sons of God came to attend Yahweh, among them came Satan. So Satan is a son of God as well as the good angels. We don't like to hear that, but that's the case. Satan is the the rebellious son. And and so, so Yahweh said to Satan, Where have you been? Prowling about on the earth, he answered, roaming around there. So Yahweh asked him, Did you pay attention to my servant Job? Satan, have you seen my servant Job, my true servant, my servant that is true to me through thick and thin? There is no one like him on the earth, a sound and honest man who fears God and shuns evil. Yes, Satan said, but Job is not God-fearing for nothing, is he? Have you not put a wall around him and his house and all his domain? Remember, Job was abundantly wealthy. He had great children. He had all the cattle and, and animals that he could want. And yet Satan is saying, you know, you put this wall around him that I can't get to him. And you, he has never had any situations where he had an opportunity to curse God, like his wife told him when, he, when Job suffered all these things that happened to him, curse God and die. But he, Job never did that through all of what he went through. Uh, you have blessed in all he undertakes and his flocks throng the countryside. But stretch out your hand and lay a finger on his possessions. Then I warrant you, he will curse you to your face. Very well, Yahweh said to Satan, and he is in your power. But keep your hands off his person. So Satan left the presence of Yahweh. And what we, if you remember correctly, if you read on in chapter 1 of Job, that all of his cattle went up got taken away, either stolen or driven off or whatever. And then the next thing, so then uh, Satan was allowed to kill all of his children, destroy all of his, everything he had with a giant wind. So he wasn't, he had nothing left. He could, Job could not depend upon his possessions and upon his family. He could depend only upon God. And that's exactly what he did. And God does that to us sometimes where we need to uh, be there for, see that he is our only hope. And, and so, and then it says down in the next couple of lines, he, meaning Jesus, was among the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. 
And so there were all kinds of wild beasts in the desert, and it doesn't go into detail what they are, but Jesus, the scripture tells us that the angels ministered to him. The angels were there to take care of him in spite of these wild beasts. And the question that I would ask you, each of you today, is what are the wild beasts in your life? Uh, if you don't know what they are, then I suggest that you take some time this week to find out and ask yourself and ask God to reveal to you what the wild beasts are in your life. And do you fear the wild beasts in your life? Or do you allow God to minister to you and protect you from the wild beasts in your life? So he was there, and in Mark, what we have here, Mark doesn't say a lot about things, the things that we have in John and Matthew, where he talks about the three temptations, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, But we know that happened. And Jesus was able to withstand the devil, even with all the temptations that the devil threw at him. And then it comes down here, and it's actually a second part, something separate from his time in the desert. It says, after John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you remember correctly, if you go back and we look at some of the things that we've talked about in the past several weeks, that, 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 that was the message of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the precursor. He was the one pointing to Jesus when Jesus would begin his ministry. And so Jesus is repeating the words of John the Baptist here to folks. And remember that word repent means to turn around, to change your thinking, be different from what you have been in the past. And so he's talking about that it's time for the people to do that. Now, why did he go to Galilee? Well, the obvious answer is that if Jesus had been down in Judea, chances were that Herod would do to him what he did to John the Baptist. And it was not yet Jesus's time to be sacrificed for, for mankind. Jesus had a ministry, three years of ministry that he needed to do before it was time for him to, to suffer and die for us. So it says the time of fulfillment. This is the time of fulfillment. Okay, again, let's talk about what the word time. And the word time is the kairos, which means the proper time. Uh, it's a time that is, it's, everything's ready. It's time for this to happen. It's not saying that it's, it's not saying that the time, it's going to happen on January 20, uh, 21st, 2023, or anything of that nature. It's when, when everything is together and it's God's time. Uh, if you look at Isaiah 60, verse 22, D, and I usually read from the Jerusalem Bible itself, which says, in due time, I will act with speed. Other translations say, when the time is ripe, I will act with speed. So God does what he does when the time is ripe, when it is the right time to do what he needs to do. And he knows when that is, and we usually don't. So, and time of fulfillment, again, that word fulfillment is a Greek word that means that it's so cramped, that the time is so crammed full that there's no room for anything else. So what this is saying, that all the things that God wanted to happen were fulfilled and completed. This is the time for people to repent, to change their way of life, to, to follow Jesus, and to, to live a new life that only Jesus can allow them to live. So that's what we're talking about here. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, couple of scriptures that, that you'll hear me say frequently, and one is 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 
where Paul is talking about when is the right time to do what Jesus is talking about. And, he, and Paul says, at, the, right, at the, the time of favor, I have answered you. On the day of salvation, I have helped you. Well, now is the real time of favor. Now is the day, the day of salvation is here. So Paul is telling us today and every day of our lives is a day that we need to repent. We need to turn around our thinking. We can't do it all at once, can we? We, it may be that you do just little turns day after day after day after day. And this might go on for years. And again, if you look at uh, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. Well, to the American mind, being perfect means that there's no problems or anything. But if you look at the Greek word, the Greek word talks about perfection, not as a destination, but as a process to continue to go toward the being without sin, without flaw, being a total and complete imitation, not imitation, but someone who is like Jesus Christ. So you don't need to do that any other way other than continually day after day until you can get it all done correctly. And it's not going to happen until the day we die. And that will be the day of fulfillment for us too. There's one other scripture, uh, and I think we had this a couple of weeks ago in the responsorial song. And this is Psalm 97 uh, 95, pardon me, 95, verse 7, and it's the last part of that verse, and I'm just taking it out, totally out of context, and it says, if only you would listen to him today. What do you hear God saying to you today? today? Are you hearing him say anything to you through uh, this podcast? Are you hearing him say anything to you in your prayer time? Hopefully you have a prayer time. Do you hear him saying anything to you in the readings at Mass or in, in, the, in the, any part of Mass? Are you hearing him say something to you through other people? What are you hearing God tell you today? And each day, as long as it's today, we need to listen to what God is speaking to us. And in Psalm 95, what it's talking about is to be obedient. You know, to, to in this Hebrew mind, you didn't, if you listened, that meant you needed to obey what you were heard, what you heard from God. And we don't do a very good job of that, most of us. And I don't know how to tell you to do it any differently other than just say, here I am, Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is, is listening. And then you need to do what, what you see in James where it says, oh, you need to hear the word and then obey the word. Okay, let's look at the second reading. And this is where that, second, that first Peter scripture came in. And this fits in fairly well with what we've got. And at first Peter 2, 21 to 25, this in fact, is what you were called to do because Jesus suffered for you and left an example for you to follow in his steps. He had done nothing wrong and had spoken no deceit. He was insulted and did not retaliate with insults. He was suffering. He made no threats, but put his trust in the upright judge. He was bearing our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. Through his bruises, we have been healed. You have gone astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So it says, it says here, Christ suffered once the righteous for the sake of unrighteousness. What did, what did John tell the, Andrew and John? Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Paschal Lamb. But this Paschal Lamb is not one that covers your sins. This is the Paschal Lamb that takes away your sins. 
And it's important that we understand that uh, for us to do, to do what's necessary. So what, what you need to also see is that in Romans 5, 6, 5, verse 6, it says, when we were still helpless, at the appointed time, Christ died for the godless. That includes us. There are times in our lives, I don't know how holy you think you are or how holy you are, there are times in your life when you are godless. And so you need to understand that. So Moses was the shepherd that took the, she the sheep of Israel out of Egypt to save them. And now Jesus is the shepherd who is taking the people out of the Egypt of sin to take them into the promised land of his father. Jesus is the one who is taking them on the ark through the waters of baptism to the water, to the land of promise. Again, when Moses took people through to the promised land, they had to go through the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, all types of baptism, if you, if you look in uh, various places. So if you look farther, you will see that And it says at once, uh, at the right time. So, and Second Peter three nine talks about the timing of God. It says the Lord is not slow in carrying out His promises, as some think He is. Rather, He is being patient with you, wanting nobody to be lost and everybody to be brought to repentance. So that's where we're at. You need to do what God has asked you to do, and you. Let's go down and look at another thing that if, if, if you look at First uh, Peter 3, uh, note I, which is on this particular passage, it says, as few were saved from drowning, the flood is taken to symbolize the Old Testament purificatory rites that were almost without exception limited to external bodily purity, whereas the baptism by which a person is reborn can have no limits in its efficacy. So we need to understand that God is doing with us what we need to have done for us. We are God's people. He has called us. We need to follow him. We need to go through the water with him. We need to be purified. We need to repent. We need to change our way of thinking. And we need to take up our cross and follow him. I thank you so much for listening today. And I hope that you have a very good week. Uh, the question that I leave you with today, are you ready for your time of purging? all that prevents you from going forward and doing what God wants you to do? Are you ready for the training and preparation that are necessary for what lies ahead? Lent, live joyfully, as joyfully as possible, is what the church has instituted for us for an annual time of purgation and preparation. Welcome it and live it as though your life truly depended upon it. God bless.